Well, glory to God. Wasn't sure if I would get here this morning after last week, but uh, it's awesome to be able to share the word with you. Are you ready for the word of God? I'm telling you, you know, before I get into it, I do want to pray again, but you know, just so awesome. I know many of you were touched this past week. If you weren't here, you know, this isn't like, hey, oh, you you missed out, but you did miss out a little bit. in one sense, I just want to stir your faith and stir your hunger for the Lord, your expectation. You know, there was a, a sweet presence in here. It was thick as far as the holiness of the Lord. Sometimes he comes in. It's, that's what you would call the, the, the Shekinah type of glory, a, a heavier or a weightier type of presence. And I know that, you know, there's certain times where you come into those. I was talking with others, you know, most of us were experiencing something, getting engaged in intercession or just feeling a heart for the Lord. Some people getting free. A lot of different things were, were, were happening in this place. But, you know, there's some folks, you go through something like that and you don't feel a thing. And that's what I wanted to address this morning is that don't feel that you, there's something wrong with you if you felt nothing last week. There's times in your life where you will not feel something, but God is still moving. We are not moved by feelings. We get excited when he touches us. I love it when I feel the presence of God, but I know that the presence of God is inside of me. I know the truth of his word, and that keeps me grounded. That keeps me uh, in the place where I am not moved by anything that comes my way. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't feel the Lord last week, don't feel like something's wrong unless the Lord prompts you to do something. There are times when, yeah, there may be a reason. There's other times where it's just simply God's wanting to do something different with you. Uh, This isn't part of my message this morning, but for me personally, there was a period in the midst of going through Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, a, a place where a lot of people were being touched by the manifest presence of God. For nine months straight, I didn't feel him. For nine months straight, I was wondering where God was. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a place of testing. Maybe you've been a season like that. Maybe it's been weeks. Maybe it's been months. Maybe it's been years where you haven't actually felt the, the presence of God. Can I tell you, it's okay. What the Lord spoke to me during that time was something that I needed and it changed my life. You know what that was? At the very beginning, he said, if you never feel me again, will you still love me? If you never feel me again, will you still serve me? And I couldn't answer that that question from the Lord right away. It's one of those burning questions that the Lord asked you. He already knows the answer. He knew that at that moment, I wasn't ready to say yes. So it took some time of, of being in that place where I learned to fall in love regardless of what I felt. Some of you need to even feel that and experience that for your marriage this morning. Maybe you don't feel something this morning for your spouse. Can I tell you? Dig deeper, go deeper, join in with the covenant and see what God will do. See what God will do. Okay, it's a whole little message in itself, but let's pray this morning. It'll actually tie in a bit. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your your power, your truth this morning. Lord, we're amazed by you. We're amazed by you. Father, we ask that in this place you would, you would, you would shake us, Lord, from, from a place of 
anything concerning mediocrity or any place of passivity, Lord, and make us alert, make us alive in you, God, because we know that you are alive, you are living, you are breathing, you are living hope today, God. You are not dead, but you are resurrected, and that power, that life is available for us today. This Pentecost Sunday, God, we ask for a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. God, that at the mention of your name, at the mention of your word, God, you would come and fill us in a way that only you can, God, not by might, not by power of men, not by some stirring or striving in our own accord, God, but simply our hearts leaning into you, God. Would you do what only you can do? Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we could see you, Jesus, precious Jesus, in a, in a greater light, Lord, in a, a more beautiful manner. God, would you reveal a new aspect of you? Lord, would you open up our ears, Holy Spirit, to hear what your spirit is saying to us as individuals and your church? And would you open up our hearts to receive fresh revelation this morning, that you would move around the furniture of our hearts this morning, God? And that you would take up residence, God, that you would give us revelation that we could move in obedience to. God, we thank you for it today. Take over my words, God, and receive glory and honor in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, get them ready this morning. We're going to be in several different places and it's intentional. Sometimes we kind of camp around uh, in uh, an area or two. Today we're going to spend more time in two particular passages, but ultimately we're going to be hitting on a lot. Why? Because today we're talking about our core values, continuing in the themes that we have been. How many of you have enjoyed what we've already spoken about concerning us being God's people? How many of you remember the first week? Anybody? It was several weeks ago. What's our first core value, Fire Church? God-fearing, God-fearing. We are a God-fearing people. If there's ever a time in history where the church needs to be a people that know what the fear of the Lord is, what it is to fear God, not be afraid of God, but to be simply totally undone if we are away from God that we reverence him, that we value him. We value his word. We value all that he is. We value his presence. We live in a way in obedience to him because we love him. We fear him. The second week we talked about passionately pursuing, how it's necessary and it's critical for us to continue on this pursuit. We know that God pursues us more and, and more with more fervor than we ever could, but still he calls us to seek him. Seek him while he may be found. He will answer us, amen? Then we talked about being spirit-empowered, spirit-empowered. It's one thing to be in his presence, but it's another thing to be empowered by his spirit. How many of you need his spirit? How many of you need to be empowered by, by, by the Lord? We can't do it in our own strength today, amen? Well, in conjunction with allowing that spirit, that power to be flowing through us, we need to know that we are word-centered. That's our next core value this morning, and that's what we're going to be talking about, that we are a word-centered people, word-centered people. Do you love his word this morning? Do you love his word? We value the word of God. 
We value the word of God as the steadfast source of truth that sustains us and as a powerful catalyst for personal and cultural transformation. We devote ourselves to properly understanding the scriptures, meditating upon them, speaking them aloud, and gaining revelation from them in order to live a love-inspired, balanced, powerful, and holy life. Amen? Amen. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 real quick. Actually, I'll read this to you. You'll probably be bouncing around. If you're there, praise God. Verse 4, it says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you agree with that in this house this morning? That we cannot live by bread alone. We can't live by what sustains us in this natural life. But we need the literal word of God. Yes, we need the voice of the Spirit, but how many of you know that there is an inspired text this morning that speaks the literal word of God to us? The word of God to us that comes and changes us and transforms us and allows us to be renewed every single day. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you a servant of God this morning? Most of you said amen. Are you a servant of God this morning? Well, if you're a servant of God this morning, then this tells us that we better be getting into the word of God, which is God breathed because, because all of it, not just some of it, all of it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that we would be thoroughly equipped. I don't know about you, but I believe that we're headed into an even greater battle in the days ahead. And you need to be thoroughly equipped for what is about to come your way. How many of you have been in the military before? Did they just, day one, hand you a gun and say, go on your assignment? No, they equipped you. They equipped you. Thank God they don't do that. <laughs> there are probably a lot more casualties, a lot more, more necessity for the size of infirmary, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. But no, you're thoroughly equipped thoroughly equipped to be able to go to battle. This word of God thoroughly equips us for every single situation in our lives. Without this word of God, we are not equipped to come against the schemes and plans and temptations that the enemy gives to us. Jesus showed us exactly our weapon of warfare when the enemy came to tempt him during those 40 days in the wilderness. Did he use anything but the word of God to come against the plans of attack that were against him? No, he used the literal word of God, his own word, <laughs> to be able to condemn the plan that was against him. There's only one method of, uh, or, or weapon concerning what is listed in Ephesians as the whole armor of God that is actually offensive and it is the word of God. Everything else is defensive and coming into that place of protection by God. It's understanding of that word that protects us and then also allows us to be able to go into battle. The sword of the spirit, amen? Psalm 119.11, if you don't have this memorized, you need to have it memorized and you let it be a prayer and a cry out to God. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
that I might not sin against you. How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome the power of sin? Let the word of God be hidden in your heart. Let that word begin to well up and, and, and overtake you. The word of God, the Holy Bible, the scriptures show us who wrote it and invite us into a relationship with him. It's God. It is his written, revealing, inspired, authoritative, miraculous, challenging, revelatory book that will change you and us for his good and his glory. Amen. If it is his word, then you can learn his intent. How many of you have ever read a, a testimonial or maybe you were younger, you know, you have brothers or sisters that kept a journal or a diary. People still do that these days. I guess some people do. Maybe it's digital now. Maybe it's just all over social media, whatever it is. Uh, but there's probably some stuff that's still a little more private. But if you really want to know someone, you don't go just by pictures. <laughs> you have to see what was taking time to be written out in words. And by what's written out in words that took time, that's kept in private, you could actually see the intent of that person's heart. This book shows the intent of God towards us. This book shows us the revelation of Jesus on every single page. This book shows us more and more of who he is and who we are called to be. I don't know about you, but that excites me. If, if I can know more of who God is and what his intent is, when I don't understand, when I don't have answers, I don't just simply go to this as an answer book, but I do go to this book seeking the Lord for understanding and revelation and wisdom. Why? Because there is so much truth and it shows the intent of his heart. This is put together, yes, by by men. It's put together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's been challenging to many who have thought and wrought their minds, wondering how is this possible that this can be called the Word of God? How is it possible that we could say that this is something that can be used as truth? What is truth? Anybody hear that recently? <laughs> what is truth? How do we know that this is truth? Well, I can't exhaustively go over everything with you this morning. But I can tell you, after years of my own life, after decades of searching and, and looking into the, the lives of many that have gone before me, this word is powerful. This word is active, it is living, and it cuts through and it pierces the heart. It isn't just a book of fables and myths and stories. Yeah, there's all kinds of styles of literature here. There's, there's poetry, there's, there's history, there's prophecy, there's, there's first-person testimony, and there's, there's revelation. There's all kinds of things that are written in this book. But I'm telling you, it's been proven decade after decade, generation after generation, that this word is the word of God. This word is the word of God. Again, Hebrews 4.12, if you were looking for that reference, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. John 20, verse 30 through 31, John kind of gavels the purpose of his gospel and basically all of scripture when he writes this and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book basically saying there's a whole lot that's not in here but there's enough here to show you a lot of Jesus 
Verse 31 says, but these are written. Why? Why were they written? Why was all of this written? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that believing you may have life in his name. Why was this written? Exactly that. That you could come into that place of relationship to be redeemed from the curse. To, be, to understand why you were even under a curse in the first place. But then to see exactly how God's heart of love is towards us. The Bible reveals several things. Again, this isn't an exhaustive list. But here's a few. It reveals our need for God. Our need for God, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? All have sinned, not just some have sinned, but all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We have a, we have a need to be, to be redeemed, to be saved. It, it reveals our punishment for sin in Matthew 25.41. It says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the everlasting fire. It goes on to talking about what the punishment is for not having relationship with the Lord or simply having some type of measure of a relationship with religion, but denying a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That you could go about a bunch of things, having good morals, good high ethical standards, and all of that will do nothing concerning salvation. You, there's a punishment, an eternal punishment for those that don't receive freely and believe on the Lord's name, that don't experience this baptism in the death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. It explains, it reveals God's answer to our need. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered and I, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other religion. There's no other way. It's through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the answer to our need. He shows us the way. He shows us the truth. So we can understand what is happening. And he's the life. He gives us the ability to enjoy every moment of it. He gives us the ability to breathe. He gives us the ability to experience joy and, and hope and, and all the things that he's created and crafted us to experience. It also reveals, the Bible reveals that it's all about Jesus. If we haven't mentioned that already, it reveals that it's all about Jesus. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Your version may say that they may have life more abundantly. It's to reveal that life in Christ. Laying this foundation this morning, I felt prompted of the Lord to, you know, there, there's a lot more scripture that we're going to touch on, but I want to talk about with something that the word of God does. Why are we why is it a necessity as a church? Why is it a necessity as a people, as people that profess Christ as their Savior? Why do we need to be word-centered? Why do we need to be word-centered? Wasn't this written just thousands of years ago and it's of no use today? Why do we need to be word-centered? Well, I want to share a story with you. This morning, turn with me to the book of Acts, and you can't actually turn there because we'll stay there for a moment. Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Paul is on a ship in a storm. Have you ever been in a storm? Have you ever felt like your life is in a storm? Do you feel like you're presently in a storm? 
Are you encouraged in the storm? Are you weary in the storm? Well, Paul is on a ship in a storm because the people that he's with are out of the will of God. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're persecuting Paul, actually, in this moment. He's a prisoner on this ship. He's not a, a welcome guest on this ship. But they weren't supposed to go in that direction. Paul had already spoken to them and warned them, and they ignored the warning, warning of the man of God. God warned them, but now they're in this storm. And so we pick up in verse 17 of Acts chapter 27. It says, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, they struck, they struck sail so they were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Seems like a pretty dire situation. Hopeless. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, in essence, cheer up, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the, of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Can I tell you, in the middle of the storm, we're going to continue a couple verses, but there's purpose in the midst of your storm, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, whenever you find yourself in the midst of a storm, there is purpose that is greater than your storm. There is purpose that is greater in, than the storm. Verse 29, then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped the four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I bet that was a pretty fervent prayer. <laughs> Lord, let day come. It's one thing to be in a storm. But seriously, how many of you have ever been on a ship at night or a boat at night? How many of you have ever been in a boat at night when there was a storm? I'm telling you, it's scary when you can't see any light, when you can't see the light of the moon, the light of the stars. There's water hitting you. You don't know what direction it's coming from. Waves and swells move you up and down. Your insides are turning inside out. <laughs> it's a fearful thing. And I can understand this cry for them to cry out for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors, so they were trying to put one over on the rest of the folks, we'll pretend we're putting out anchors, and we're going to jump in this lifeboat and try to get out of this thing, save ourselves. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. We're going to go back to this story, but I want to just give you some more imagery of some things concerning anchored, because I believe that the Lord really spoke to me that for us to be word-centered, it literally means to be anchored in the word of God, that we need to be anchored in the word of God. On March 27th, 2009, 
seemingly, can you believe that that was 12 years ago? Is that right? Did I do the math right? Good Lord. As she's saying, it's already May. 2009, 12 years ago, there were four NFL football players who were fishing and having fun out in the Gulf of Mexico when the storm came in. I don't know about you, but I've been out on boats in the middle of places, and you just never know when sometimes those storms are coming in. They roll in. They're not predicted. They just come in. They, they form seemingly out of nowhere. But in any case, they saw the storm coming, and they had put their anchor out. But this is what the headline uh, read from ESPN. It said, report, boat not properly anchored. Boat not properly anchored. The investigation has concluded regarding the deadly boating accident. It was caused when the vessel was improperly anchored and the boat capsized when one of them tried to throttle forward and pry the anchor loose. There was only one survivor, the report says, and overall it was just a mistake in anchoring. A mistake in anchoring. You see, these four men went out just wanting to have a good time. They went out wanting to have a good time, just fishing with their buddies, seemingly innocent. The captain of the ship wasn't a novice. He had been out on the, on the waters many times. It was his boat. But something had happened. They simply put out an anchor that wasn't sufficient for what they were up against. And also, they did something that they weren't supposed to do with that anchor that caused the boat to capsize. You could go back into the story and, and see the heart-wrenching things that went on as, you know, some of them got launched from the boat almost immediately, but two of them were, were fighting for life. One was on top, one was, well, was hanging on to the, to, the, to the bow, and there was only one survivor. You could talk about survivor's guilt during this, but he had literally seen his friends go away and, 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 and watched one in the distance begin to succumb to uh, hypothermia and then the other the same and basically said goodbye to, to his friends. But you see this man on a ship and he's in this precarious situation all because of improper anchoring. Apparently, anchoring properly is very important in the natural, and it's even more of an important and a vital thing in the spirit. And I tell you this morning, if we are not anchored properly in Christ, if we don't know how to use this word of God, it doesn't matter if you can swing an anchor around, if you can drop it in the water, if you don't know how to use that anchor, you can still find yourself in a precarious situation when you come into the midst of a storm. That's why the scripture talks about in this situation that they put out four anchors to keep them from drifting and from moving too far into the rocks, into disaster. I love this, this picture, this imagery that, that, that Paul is here with these men and they're doing everything that they can. They're wrapping this ship up, trying to lighten the load, doing all these kinds of things. But they put out four anchors. It said in verse 29, then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors, four anchors. And I've got four anchors here this morning that we're gonna illustrate a few things. They probably didn't look like this back in that day, but there were four anchors, four anchors that they used to try to secure that boat in position. Most of the time when you're on a boat, you just use one anchor or possibly two anchors to keep yourself in place. But when you're in a situation when you don't want to go anywhere, four anchors seems to be a pretty good idea. 
The scripture talks a lot about being secure in the word of God. And you've got to get your life, your family, your marriage, your faith this morning anchored within the word of God. You see, God doesn't want us to just go through storms. He doesn't want us to just simply be ones that go through the midst of hard situations. He wants us to grow through them. He wants us to grow in the midst of our storms. If you're going through something right now, a stormful situation, I believe it's not because God is some kind of sadistic power that likes to inflict pain on people and see how they do. Like the, the child that takes the magnifying glass to the ants. That's, that's not the kind of God that we serve today. We serve a God that is full of love and, and he doesn't want to see us hurt. He doesn't like to see us struggle, but he has a plan. If you look through the word of God, you can see the plans that he has for us that are of good and not of evil. Isn't that what the word of God says this morning? He doesn't want to see you depressed and discouraged. On, on the contrary, he says that he wants you to be encouraged and full of life, have life to the full. So don't just go through the storm, grow through it because storms can make you stronger. Can I share one more story and then we'll kind of apply this a little bit deeper. In 1991, scientists created uh, an artificial environment in Arizona. It was called the Biosphere 2 Ecosystem. How many of you remember that? It's still there today. But the biosphere ecosystem, basically a biodome, they tried to create this self-sustaining environment where they could, they could have their own life, their own, their own ecosystem, their own, their own biosystem, try to replicate it so that in essence, if they were to explore other planets or something were to happen uh, as far as nuclear or whatever type of situation where you needed to have your own recreated uh, life-sustaining system that they, they, they wanted to try it out and see if they could do it. Well, a team of eight scientists live inside this, this ecosystem. They had a rainforest, a desert, they had an ocean, they had all kinds of plants, they had all, all kinds of ve vegetation. They were completely self-sufficient, everything mimicking what the real world was on the inside. And their first go-round was approximately two years. However, one of the things that they didn't consider was the weather. They didn't consider the weather that, that populates the earth because they wanted to make it perfect. They figured, okay, we're going to make it this perfect 70, 72 degrees, whatever it was, you know, that perfect temperature, that sweet spot. They, they wanted the sun. They didn't want, they had a rainforest, but they didn't want storms in that place. They wanted to keep it nice. They didn't consider the adverse weather. They created what they thought was the perfect environment, but they didn't have any wind or storms. So what happened is after a period of time in this windless environment, the trees began to grow rapidly. They, the vegetation grew and, and it grew high and quickly as, as you would think in, in like a greenhouse type of environment. However, they grew so tall, they began to bend and they began to wilt. They began to actually turn over and some of them even began to break. And the reason was is because the wind wasn't there to go against the trees and create strong bark on the trees. 
trees are formed and they form strength when the wind and the opposition storms actually come against them so that they could be fortified, so that they could withstand the elements, they could withstand storms. So in this windless situation, these trees began to ultimately wither and, and begin to die. If the winds of adversity don't come up, the trees will bend and eventually break. Storms build our strength. Storms build our strength. And when you're in the midst of storms, if you are anchored improperly, you will, you will break. But if you're anchored properly, if you're anchored in this word of God that is living, that is active, that cuts through to the heart, that is profitable in every area of our lives, I'm telling you, you will be able to withstand anything that comes your way. There's a purpose for the storm. It's to build your faith, to build your confidence, to strengthen your praise, to deepen your prayer life. Weren't they praying on that ship? <laughs> Maybe they never prayed before, but they prayed when that storm was coming. Lord, bring daylight. Stop the storm. I didn't get into the part that I talked about it, but they were there for a couple of weeks. This wasn't an overnight thing. This 14 days into the storm comes into the part of where I was reading that story. <laughs> I want to give you three things that Paul and the ship's captain instructed them to do during this storm. You remember, remember in verse 17, verse 17, what does it say? When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. The first thing they did was brace up, brace up, brace up. And I believe these are three things that happened during this story that the Lord wants to impart to our hearts today. That in the midst of your storm, you need to brace up with the word of God. You need to brace up. You need to think straight. You need to take control of your thoughts. To take control of your thoughts and that way you will be able to take control of your actions. Brace up. What did they do? They took cables and literally wrapped them around the entire hull of the ship so that it wouldn't break apart. That's this action, that's this visual that we see. The word of God will literally go around us and it'll create cables that, 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 that allow the insides of us to remain intact. Brace up this morning, allow the word of God to be within your heart. First Peter two, what would you proclaim? By his stripes I am healed. You know these, the word of God and you begin to confess and you begin to declare this. You, you brace up by declaring the word of God over your life. Job 8, 7 says, though your beginning was small, yet your latter would increase abundantly. Basically saying that I may be small starting out, but I'm going to brace up according to the word of God and say that, yes, I know the Lord will see me through to success. He'll see me through to completion. I may start small, but I'm going to end looking like exactly what God has created me to be. Jeremiah 1.5, before I was formed in my mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. The Lord has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. Not determined by how, directly how we live our lives, but it was fashioned and set in motion before you were even in your mother's womb. If we know that, we know that our lives have deeper purpose than anything somebody could tell us we are good at, we should do. Don't let anyone dictate you, to you what you should do. Allow the word of God to declare who you are, to receive that identity from Christ and Christ alone. 
Brace up with Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Brace yourself with the word of God, because if you don't, worry will take over. If you don't brace yourself up with the word of God, how many of you have lived this? Anxiety will begin to take a root. All of a sudden, depression starts to come in. Discouragement starts to come in. Why? Because we're listening to other, the lies of life, the lies of the enemy. But the word of God keeps us anchored. It keeps us from being moved and crashing upon the rocks. Fear will take over. Disappointment will take over. We need to brace ourselves up with the word of God. Brace our family up. Brace your marriage up with the word of God. Declare what the word of God says over your marriage. You don't like what's going on? Declare the word of God over your marriage, not just what you hope to see. Not just wishful thinking, but declare the word of God that talks about what a true marriage looks like. The beauty of love, the beauty of the representation of your marriage literally looking like God's love. For all of humanity, brace up your purpose with the word of God, not your feelings, not your emotions. Get into the house of God. Brace yourself up with the fellowship of other believers. The word of God commands us to not forsake the assembling of the saints, to not forsake the assembling of one to one with another. Why? Because there's sometimes we don't remember what the word of God says, and we need that encouragement from others that can speak that directly into us and challenge us to go deeper. That's why discipleship is so important. That's why we need to be in discipleship with, for ourselves, being mentored by somebody and discipling others because when we disciple others, there's a depth that begins to take place inside of us. There's a bracing that begins to take place. It's one thing to be able to hear the word of God just like you're hearing from me this morning, but you need to teach it to somebody. You need to teach it to your children. You need to teach it to your friends. You need to teach it to your coworkers. Are you hearing me this morning? This isn't just for the fivefold ministry. This is every believer. You need to brace yourself with the word of God. Brace yourself deep in community. Dive into the word of God and brace yourself up for the storm. You ever get into arguments believing that it's your spouse's fault? Never, never. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. I mean, I know for, for many years, you know, I, I mean, we, we didn't have too many arguments early on. There were a few. There's definitely been a lot more since. But, <laughs> but I remember early on in our marriage, it seemed like every time we got into an argument, it wasn't my fault. It was always her fault. And my prayers would be, God, help her. Help her. You know, help her see my way. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? Until you get into the actual word of God and realize, God, this is my fault. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure there's, there's, there's situations where it's a collective, uh, you know, <laughs> a collective thing that's going on. But I remember having that mindset that it, was, it wasn't my fault. It was surely anytime I get into an argument, maybe you get in arguments with people at work. And uh, your position is, <laughs> they're stupid. It's their fault. Can I say that this morning? Come on, you know, we have lives, right? We, we think these things at times, probably more often than we like to admit. But what will the word of God do? The word of God will show us 
the power of grace in operation, the power of forgiveness in operation, the power of truth that will set people free and bring them out of bondage. Calling somebody stupid doesn't bring them out of bondage. It actually places more bondage on them. (laughs) It keeps them down. You wonder why they're acting crazy. It's because you keep on confessing things that make them depressed and discouraged. You talk behind their backs and you get a whole cohort of people against them. Why do you think it doesn't get better? The word of God talks about these things. Don't allow this type of talk being being a part of your mouth. Don't entertain these things. The word of God will tell us and show us exactly how we're supposed to live. Isn't that amazing? This isn't rocket science. People begin to lose hope in their marriage because they're not bracing it with the word of God. It's being destroyed by emotions that are not right, circumstances that are not right. But the word of God is truth and it is right. The word of God is an anchor. It is an anchor. And I say that loudly this morning. I I pray, I'm really praying for the Lord to give us opportunity to go deeper into the word of God in an apologetic sense and in a way to help us defend our faith. Some of you have been through that. Others of you have not. But we're living in a generation right now where the deconstruction of faith is a very popular thing. Progressive Christianity is a very popular thing where it's I will do what's right in my own eyes and I can interpret this through my own lens and my own perspective. Can I tell you that will lead you to crashing upon the rocks. The word of God is a sword. You may not like it, but that doesn't make it wrong. Just because you don't like it, that may be something that needs to pierce your heart and separate soul and spirit, emotion, feeling, and spirit. The spirit of God that speaks through this word needs to pierce us and allow us to come into truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Speaking of marriage, proclaim this over your life, your marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 talks about marriage being honorable. Marriage being honorable. I declare over my marriage that my marriage is honorable. It is created and instituted by God. Do you just declare that? Even if you have to do that this morning with me right now in this service, you don't have to wait till you go home. Declare right now from your heart, my marriage is honorable. My marriage is honorable. Another translation says precious. My marriage is precious. My marriage is precious. It is to be held in high esteem and I I honor it. And others will honor it. My spouse will honor it. May not feel like it when you are in it, but you can declare it. Brace up your marriage. Marriage is honorable, precious, especially dear. Proverbs 5.18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. In other words, stay committed. Stay committed. Hold out, hold on. Don't break off, don't break off. I'm not condemning anyone that's experienced divorce in this place. I'm just telling you when you're in the midst of the battle, if you're in the midst of a storm today, right now, we're not condemning you for your past because all things have become new. But today, if you're going through a struggle, You rejoice with the wife of your youth. You rejoice with the husband of your youth. The one you started with, complete it to the end. Amen? Hallelujah. If the problem won't go away, it means that we're going to work it out and we're going to brace ourselves until the storm dies on, until the storm dies down. We're going to pray for morning. We're going to pray for that storm to cease, but we're going to brace ourselves. We're going to throw out the anchors. We're going to throw out one anchor over here, one anchor over there. And we're going to declare that this thing will stand 
1 Corinthians 13 may be one of your anchors. You're going to declare that love never fails. It will be patient. It will be persevering. It will not be rude. It won't, it won't hold records of wrong. It will, it will be an anchor for my marriage. I declare that. Don't let the storm break up your marriage. Maybe you have a financial storm. Maybe your month is longer than, <laughs> longer than your money. Build up your finances with the word of God. Do you know that you can do that and not be into this false prosperity gospel? God wants us to be blessed, and that's not anything to be ashamed of. He commands blessing towards his children, but there could be action required on our part. Begin to speak life and brace up your finances. Philippians 4.13, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. According to his riches in glory, my God shall supply all of my needs, not some of my needs, but all of my needs. Of course, taking it in context, using hermeneutical principles, and you're like, hermeneutical what? Look it up. It's a good thing and an important thing. We need them. We need to know what the scripture says, why it says, what the content is, context of what we are saying and reading. Our God will supply all of our needs when we're in relationship with him. Not just because we want to quote that verse, but when we're in relationship with him, that becomes a promise to us. It becomes a promise to us. Luke 6.38 is another promise. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a principle of giving, period. That's not just financial. That could be emotional. That could be with your physical strength. Whatever you sow, whatever you give, whatever measure you give, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. How, how about the Lord comes and, and does that for you? Don't you get excited when the Lord does something like that? Have you experienced that? Who's experienced the Lord's faithfulness in that? Come on, the Lord is faithful. He supplies our needs and he comes, he always does more than we, we, we expect. Sometimes in ways that we don't expect or can't even explain. You got a check register that says, this is what's coming in, this is what's going out. But somehow you have more than enough. Somehow it makes sense. Somehow you get a break on your job. Somehow you get a discount on gas. Sometimes, somehow you get extra food in the line. Somebody blesses you with, with something. The Lord just makes things happen and it doesn't make sense. But the key is you have to be in partnership with that promise. You have to give. <laughs> you have to give away, not hold dear. Cast the anchor. Let go of the thing. <laughs> Malachi 3.10, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. These are promises of the Lord God. We need to move on. Hallelujah. Verse 22 Paul talks to them and tells the people on the boat, cheer up. I told you to brace up. You needed to brace up. Now you got to cheer up. Cheer up. This is the message of Christianity, which is victory. Our message is victory. Cheer up because we are going to win. We've already won. It's already been sealed. Jesus doesn't call us to a kingdom of despair, of discouragement or fear. He says, this is the faith that overcomes the world. This is the faith that overcomes the world. We are overcomers. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 and 14 and 15, it says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Are you born of God this morning? This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. 
Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So what's the condition even in the midst of that? If we pray according to his will, how do you know his will? Read his will. (laughs) Read his will. Then when you ask him, you will know that you're going to receive what you ask. We have an anchor that goes deeper and is stronger and that is adversely, that, and that is adversely affecting you. He's leading you from place to place. The scripture says in per, perpetual victory. Perpetual victory is where the Lord leads us. Allow the word of God to go deep in your spirit this morning because God doesn't leave you, lead you into defeat. He doesn't lead you to devastation. God is leading you in perpetual victory. Don't you let yourself quit. Don't let yourself quit during the midst of the storm, but brace yourself up and cheer up. Undergird yourself. Undergird your call. Undergird your marriage, your business. Let yourself be undergirded with the word of God, and ultimately when you do that, you will cheer up. The word of God will be like medicine to you. All of a sudden, you'll read something, and it'll even cause you to laugh, and that laughter will become medicine because you're like, God, it was right there all along. It was right there all along. Brace up, cheer up, focus on what you have. Strengthen that which remains. Strengthen what you have. Strengthen that which remains. Verse 18 says, lighten the load, lighten the load. How many of you, sometimes you need to lighten the load? You take on some baggage that doesn't need to belong, and in the midst of a storm, guess what happens to baggage? It's got to go. This is life and death. The things that aren't important all of a sudden become very clear and you begin tossing those things. It actually says with their own hands, they begin to throw things off of the boat. Sometimes we have to participate in this and literally with our own hands begin to lighten the load, lighten the load. When they went to different ports in that ship, they would often pick up more stuff and more materials and more supplies. As you go throughout life, you pick up more stuff How many of you have ever moved? Isn't it amazing what you find when you move? You're like, where did all this stuff come from? You have a yard sale, you have a garage sale, then you get into the new house, it's not a month later, and you're like, where did all this stuff come from? You just accumulate stuff. If you've got kids and you've got a minivan, you understand where does stuff come from? But in any case, life has a way of making you accumulate stuff and acquire baggage. The thing is that a, that a storm will do is reveal that extra stuff that we have, the stuff that doesn't matter, the responsibilities, the distractions, the waste that takes away from our main purpose and our calling in Christ Jesus. When we go through the storms, they're revealed. They did it with their own hands. Quit waiting for someone else to do it for you. Are you hearing me this morning? Quit waiting for someone else to lighten your load. The call for us this morning is to lighten your own load. Lighten your own load. It may not be easy at first, but don't wait for the storm to come to lighten your load. Do it now. Do it now. It's a lot more pleasant. Hey, you might even get some return on it if you lighten it during a time when it's not a storm. You know, isn't it amazing how some things go up in the storm, some things go down in the storm? Some things you just have to toss out. 
But if it's not a storm, maybe you'll get a return. You have to unload. You have to get down to what is essential, and that is Jesus, and that is his word. That is what will keep you anchored in the midst of a storm. The extra baggage will sink you. Paul said it this way elsewhere in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking where? To ourselves? No, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Three things to get rid of this morning that, that you can write down quickly in your notes. Three things right off the bat, and I'm sure you could add to this list your own things, but three I words. The one, first one would be insufficiency. Throw off immediately insufficiency. The idea that you don't have enough talent, the money, the education, whatever it is, you're insufficient to do what God has called you to do. In the midst of your storm, you don't have the right capability to prosper in your marriage or on your business. Throw it out right now. Insufficiency is not compatible with the kingdom of God because he supplies all of our needs. He supplies the wisdom. He supplies the strength. He supplies the knowledge. All of it comes from him. Throw off the second thing, insecurity, immediately. If it's an insecure thought, throw it out. It's not from heaven. It's not from Christ. It's not from the Lord. The things that say, I can't do this. The things that say you're going to lose. The things that say, I better quit. The things that make you nervous and full of anxiety and, and, and cause you to bow down to peer pressure. Throw off the insecurity right now. Throw off the baggage of insecurity. The third thing, throw off insignificance. Insignificance. Throw off insignificance. The, the idea that no one really needs you. That you're not important. That you're not the right one for the part. You know what? God has you right where you are, right where he wants you for a divine purpose. There are times here God shifts us around. But can I tell you, don't allow insignificance to take root in your heart or in your mind. Talk about the value that God says in his word that Christ gives us the value. Are you seeing, we haven't even gotten very far this morning. You're already seeing little bits and pieces of what having a word-centered life will do for you, of being anchored in Christ will do for you. That regardless of whether you feel him or not, whether you experience something euphoric or not, if you have this word of God, it'll be life-changing for us. When you hear the crazy voices, you better recognize that it is in those moments that God is calling you out, saying, I am calling you to be who I created you to be, to be confident and bold and courageous. Like he said to Joshua, be bold and very courageous. He tells him again, be bold and courageous. Be bold and very courageous. It's amazing. Four times the Lord said that to Joshua. It's like four anchors for Joshua. These could be anchors for us. Be courageous, be bold and very courageous. Go back and read the story, it'll bless you. The boat doesn't keep you in the storm, the anchor keeps you in the storm. It's not about the boat this morning, it's actually about the anchor. It's actually about the anchor. Hallelujah. I'm not actually gonna be able to get to all the illustration I had for those. I wanna close with this, this verse. The most important, important verse concerning the word of God being an anchor for us, or really Christ, who is the word, being the anchor for us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. I'll go quickly. 
For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Let me just stop there. Isn't that awesome? God looked around and there's no one else that I can swear by. I have to swear by myself. This was a cultural thing that they understood. They understood that to cause an argument to end and to be done, they had to swear by something. Being a person of your word was actually a very important part of the culture. And so for him to say, I swear by myself, that's like, boom, that's done. That settles it. That settles it. He swore by himself saying, surely blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Who patiently endured? Abraham. Abraham had to patiently endure to receive that promise, even though it came from God. Even though he swore by himself, he still had to patiently endure through the night, allow that anchor to go deep and to be secure on something that was unshakable. I've, I've cast out an anchor before and there's been mud and silt and different things and it, it didn't get caught right and your, your boat continues to drift. That's the most frustrating circumstance. But when you get that anchor in properly and it's in the right place, it's the right weight, it's in the right position, and you get down into the place of even bedrock, you don't move. You're fashioned and you can patiently endure whatever it is so that you, you obtain the promise. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. You need to hear that word this morning. It is impossible for God to lie. He does not lie. So what he says about you stands secure. It is truth. It is unwavering. It is impossible for God to lie. We might have this strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Underline this in your Bible if it's not already underlined. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I saved the best for last, friends. He is our anchor that goes beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. The anchor that I want is not one that simply goes into the pool of baptism this morning, but I want that anchor, the one that goes beyond the veil that goes beyond the veil into where? The literal presence of God. The literal presence of God. That means if we are anchored in this word of God, if we are anchored to Christ, in Christ, that means that whatever wind comes our way, we don't have to worry because where our anchor is, is in the literal presence of God. He's making intercession for us. We're anchored to the presence of God. That's what the word says. That says that when he took those nails upon his hands and his feet and, and he said it, it was finished, what happened as a physical representation in the tabernacle? That veil was torn in two. That veil was torn in two. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. And now we have this anchor for our souls that goes deep into the presence of God. 
Be anchored so you cannot move. Sure and steadfast, immovable. Put forward anchors down if you need them, all connecting to Christ. What does this word say? What a revelation of Christ in this word are you going to anchor to? Put it on there. Let it be courage. Let it be, let it be those things that keep you from being steadfast and immovable. Would you stand reverently with me for, for a moment? As we close, I'll to ask our worship team to come. The one that we are connected to cannot fail. He cannot lie and he cannot lose. I'll say that again. The one that we are connected to, Jesus, he cannot fail. He cannot lie and he cannot lose. That's what the word of God tells us. We have this anchor for our soul. When the hope goes beyond the veil, you cast your hope into that place, into the presence of God. You can say like Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate me, not peril, not tribulation, not anything in this life can separate me from the love of Christ. Somebody, you may have been drifting without the anchor of your soul this morning, but I want to tell you, there's a cry that the Lord is wanting to wrap you in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where you are anchored to him again. What happens when you are anchored? When you begin to drift, you can't drift anymore. Why? Because there's a tug on that line. There's a tug on that line that keeps you, keeps you centered, that keeps you from going off, from being crashed upon the rocks. When you feel that tug, don't try to run. When you feel that tug, when you're in the middle of temptation, don't run away. Let that tug pull you back into the presence of God, that place of holiness, the holy of holies. Allow that bracing to overtake you. Cast your anchor of the hope for your soul and latch onto Jesus, who is the rock of ages. The rock of ages. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands in thanks and in worship to, to Christ right now. The anchor of our souls. Thank you, Jesus. Let your hope be cast through the veil this morning. What a promise. What a promise. Through the veil. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have this anchor of our soul. Let your hope be turned into an anchor this morning. Lighten the load. Lighten the load. Drop anchor. Drop anchor. Drop anchor. Drop your purpose found in Christ. Be anchored to him. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning that overcomes and overtakes us, God. The promise of your spirit, the promise of your truth that keeps us, God, that allows us to be steadfast and immovable. Lord, as the waves come, as some may be in this place feeling battered by the waves, feeling a little bit of drift, feeling that pull of culture drift, societal drift. God, I pray that this morning again, you would wrap yourself around us. You would redeem us by the power of your love. That we would allow our anchors to drop deep into your presence, God, and we would experience the washing that comes.
the cleansing that comes by the lamb, by the priest that makes intercession for us. God, we thank you that in this place, worry falls to the ground. Depression falls to the ground. Discouragement falls to the ground as our anchors are found in you. God, would you do what only you can do? Would you do what only you can do? Would you do what only you can do? I'm asking Mike to close us in a song to declare exactly what we've been talking about this morning. If you need prayer, I'm going to encourage the, the, the prayer team to come up. You can receive prayer for anything, but I want us to declare this song. It's an older song. Many of you probably know it. It's Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Our hope being wrapped inside of him. This is what the word of God does, friends. We need to be word-centered centered in Christ hallelujah let's close with this song and worship amen